Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 17. I do appreciate those who reading ahead and studying ahead. It will be in Matthew 17 and verses 14 through 23 today. It is basically two accounts quickly joined together. As you're turning there, I, I wanted to say that I, and I think it may serve as an encouragement to others, appreciate yesterday all that Tony and Katrina did in effort to spread the word in their area, going to great lengths and great expense to um, encourage people to hand out Bibles in that area. And everyone that was there did a super job. Um, I learned some things from watching. But Tony and Katrina have also put a correspondence course in these things. And they have gotten a couple of responses from the people we gave them to in January. And we hope we get responses from some of those yesterday. If God gives us one, it makes all the difference in the world to that one. And some of you who were found in such fashion know that. But in Matthew 17, beginning with verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, you notice that verse 21 in the New American Standard is in italics. Uh, it's not in italics, it is in brackets. But, but some of your versions indicate it different ways. But verse 21, not in some of the best manuscripts. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In verse 22, while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. 
Now, before we look at the text, and I am somewhat hesitant to do this, because I know that once this is done, somehow the limitations of this may rest in our mind and there's no way we can limit Jesus and limit God. But there was a painting in the early 1500s by an Italian artist that depicted this particular scene. Now, I want to demonstrate if you... If you haven't seen the picture or haven't uh, or don't instantly see uh, the point in the first scene there is the transfiguration and there you have Jesus appearing with Moses and Elijah was it above the earth Uh, I'm not trying to make a statement again defending everything in pain okay But that pictures Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah while below the mountain you find the demon-possessed boy and the father. Is is there a pointer here? Yes. Okay. The demon-possessed boy and his father the disciples who are failing in their attempts to cast out the demon. And I take it that those who have their fingers pointed out, that they are making accusation against the disciples. There's no two events in the life of Jesus that contrasts the glories of heaven with the wickedness of the earth like these two. In one, he is talking to Moses and Elijah. But one writer says, then he comes down to the real world. The real world of distress, of suffering, and unbelief. The only thing I question about that writer's statement is which is the real world. Because the above reflects eternity with God and in His presence. And what Jesus has known from all of creation, that is reflected in the top picture. That is the real world. But as He enters our world of sin and suffering and evil and unbelief, what a drastic step down. But this whole scene This whole scene in the biblical text should lead us to stand in awe of what Jesus what Jesus endured just by becoming a man in entering our world. People who give up the affluent 
comforts of this world to go to a place where they are without instantly a few years ago Alan Malone told me the story of a man that was in Indonesia who was working there for a contractor and an American and he and his family lived in the most as they lived as well as anyone lives here But they were separated so from the people that they knew there was no way to reach them with the gospel. And they moved into a home that had running water one hour a day. And it kept changing. You had to guess the hour. Because they wanted to reach the people. If that instantly demands our respect, how much more Jesus, who descended from heaven to a world that he knew would reject him so that we could be saved. And to me, that is the overarching thing in the contrast of the Mount of Transfiguration in the first 13 verses and Jesus coming down from the mountain encountering unbelief in verses 14 through 21. Now, looking more at the text, this man came to Jesus and fell on his knees before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And that word translated lunatic is only used twice in the New Testament here in Matthew 4, verse 24. And it is the subject of much debate. Some of your versions have epileptic. Some argue just as strenuously that that is not correct either. How best to render this word? It is difficult to determine. But we will see more of his condition later. But he said, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, as the woman requested in Matthew 15, 22. For my son is a lunatic, he's very ill. He often falls into the fire and into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cast him out. In Matthew 10, verse 1, in Matthew 10, verse 8, when Jesus sent out the disciples on the limited commission, one of the powers he gave them was to heal demons. Mark 6, in verse 13, said they had cast out demons. Luke 10, verse 17, says they came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
So the disciples have cast out demons before. Later they will act surprised that they were not able to do it in this particular occasion. But when Jesus hears that his disciples could not cast out demons, he said, you unbelieving and perverted generation. By the way, those words come from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, verse 20. Moses came down from the mountain one time too. Remember when he came down from Mount Sinai, he encountered the people worshiping the golden calf in Exodus 32. Jesus has a similar experience as he comes down from the mountain talking with Moses. He encounters a similar kind of unbelief. And as Moses referred to the people of his day as being an unbelieving and perverted generation, so does Jesus. And Jesus says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Now, Lord willing, Lord willing on Tuesday nights, We'll be studying Psalm 73. But in the Psalms, we see men crying out to God. How long? How long, O God? As people wanted relief from an adversary, from a problem, and couldn't, couldn't understand why God was delaying so long. How long, O Lord? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But my guess is that every person in this crowd has cried that at some time. How long must I endure this circumstance? That Jesus looked at his apostles and he said, How long? How long do I have to put up with you? How many times has Jesus said that about me? you're going to understand. But Jesus rebuked him. And it could be translated it. Because I think he's speaking of the demon. And do you translate that him or it in that context? But he rebuked the demon and the demon came out and the boy was cured at once. There is a strong rebuke in Jesus' word. How long shall I be with you? But when Moses came down from the mountain in Exodus 32, the people drank the golden calf and some died of plague. When Jesus comes down from the mountain, he offers a strong rebuke. But he cures the boy at once. The disciples said, why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith, 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not come out by fasting and prayer. We already point out that verse 21 is not in the best manuscripts. In Mark 9, 29, this statement appears. But I want you to see this. The point of mentioning prayer and fasting is obviously this is something that strengthens faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, verse 17. Prayer also strengthens faith. And fasting is not in some of the manuscripts, some of the best manuscripts in Mark 9, 29. But it also is put in that context. The Bible says... That gathering together into Galilee, Jesus said, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Now, I want to say just a word about that word delivered in verse 22. Some of your versions may have betrayed. This word can mean delivered, it can mean betrayed, it can refer to God giving over the Son or the Son giving over himself. It can refer to the the Jewish leaders giving Jesus over to Pilate. And it can refer to Judas betraying Jesus, as sometimes it will. Now, more could be said about verses 22 and 23. Remember when Peter said before, or or Jesus talked about his death before, Peter objected and was strongly rebuked. Now they don't say anything, but they're grieved. I understand why they were grieved. Because it is painful to read those words that he was going to be rejected, that he was going to be killed. But don't miss the end of the story. That he will be raised on the third day. Sometimes things are going horrible along the way, but when there is a happy ending, all of that is without. And that's the way it is with Jesus. Now, What I want you to do is turn with me to Mark 9 because Mark records this same account. One thing I hope we can see by looking at these different accounts is just a little bit about studying the Bible and about how these different accounts, or this same account, excuse me, Recorded by different writers, different gospels, has a different purpose. We're going to come back to the emphasis or purpose of Matthew 17 in just a moment. But what I want you to see in Mark's account, Mark's account is a lot longer than Matthew's account. I want you to notice that in Mark's account, 
There are all kinds of things emphasized that do not appear in Matthew. For example, in verses 14 through 16, we showed on the picture a moment ago the scribes arguing with the disciples. Well, where does that come from? Verse 16 through 19, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? Jesus asked his disciples, what are you discussing? But, but, but the scribes and religious leaders are arguing with Jesus. That's part of this event. But a couple of parts that we want to emphasize pretty strongly. I want us to see in Mark's account some things that are said about this young man's condition that we are not told in Matthew. Matthew described him as a lunatic or an epileptic, epileptic, and said he's often thrown into the fire or water, it, 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 or made it kind of, he's, he often falls into the fire and to the water. But, but, but here, notice the severity of this demon. In verse, in verse 17, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, or the man says to Jesus, I brought my son possessed with a spirit that makes him mute. So he's not able to speak. In verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. And he foams at his mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. And they could not. Now, when they brought the boy to Jesus, look at verse 20. The Spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the Father, verse 21, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Can you imagine a parent dealing with that kind of service? This would have absorbed their life. This would have absorbed all their attention. The man was not only unable to speak, but look at verse 25. He was also deaf. And Jesus says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. But even then, look at verse 26, and crying out, throwing him into terrible convulsions. It came out. I want you to see the severity of the son's condition. And there's no way I can adequately picture this. The severity of the son's condition leads to the father's desperate.
plane. And the failure of the disciples only increases his anxiety. But I particularly want to highlight verses 22 through 24. After he talks in verse 22 about how the demon has thrown him both into the fire and into the water, he says to Jesus, But if you can do anything, take pity on us and God. If you can do anything. The failure of the disciples has led him to question the power of Jesus. If you can do anything. Jesus says the same words back to him. If you can. If you can. You see the faith of the person that was doing the healing was important. And the faith of the one that was healed. They're both emphasized in this account. Matthew emphasizes the faith of the healers. This emphasizes the faith of the ones being healed. If you can do anything, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And he said, been a few occasions in my life where I have had opportunities over a prolonged period to uh, to teach in prisons one time for several years and I was teaching through the gospel of Mark and I don't guess I will ever forget the response that those prisoners, it was a room full of about 20 or 30, had in just reading those words. I believe, help, help my unbelief. And all the room burst forth in that They all related to that comment. I believe. Help my unbelief. Who cannot relate to that comment at some moment? Now, these are all things you need tomorrow. Or they're not in Matthew. Luke has a couple of hints of some of these, but nothing like the detail that Mark has. What is this account emphasizing? This account emphasizes the power of Jesus. His disciples may fail, but he doesn't fail. They may struggle to cast this out by fasting and prayer. Jesus can just speak the word. And the demon is gone. But I would say to this. Look at verses 26 and 27. 
After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. The power of Jesus that is displayed in this incident is the power that will be displayed in his own death and resurrection. The two words that are used in verse 27 that he raised him and he got up are both different Greek words. Both of them used in the New Testament of the resurrection of Jesus. This miracle and Jesus casting out the demon and the demon throws him into convulsions and the people are saying he is dead but Jesus takes him by the hand and he is alive. was amazed at this. All the crowd was amazed. But what's the emphasis in Matthew? Again, just read the text. Verse 20 of Matthew 17 is only in Matthew's account. Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. A mustard seed was proverbial, proverbial, <coughs> easy for me to say, proverbial. Why are you talking again? You, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. A, a, a mustard seed was known to be small. Everybody knew it was small when he wants to talk about small things becoming great things. In Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32, he uses a mustard seed that is sown and becomes a tree. A mustard seed was something noted for its smallness. And a mountain is an obstacle that cannot be moved. When the Bible tells us about the return from Babylonian captivity and every valley will be filled in and every mountain will be made low, it is talking about how obstacles will be removed. All obstacles will be removed. Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. By the way, that statement also appears in Matthew 21 verse 21. But for Matthew, this is an account about discipleship and faith. Now I want to tell you, 
that verse could be subject to abuse. It could be subject to abuse. Remember the Jesus who had the power to do this will submit to death and death on the cross. It is not a magic formula. Verse 20 is not a magic formula to remove all suffering, all pain, That is not what verse 20 is intended to do. But I'll tell you what verse 20 does. Jesus is telling the disciples that if they have a faith that is strong enough to call upon Him and to trust in Him, even if it's small, they might accomplish things greater than they ever imagined. As one writer said, even the most absurd things from the world's point of view can be accomplished if we are faithful to what God calls us to do. You think about the story of David and Goliath and you think about the size of the giant which is meant to inspire fear in the ones who reading and remember how he would come out every day and said choose a man to fight me if we just if I defeat you you will be our slaves but if you defeat us we will be your slaves and all the men of Israel trembled and feared and they ran and there was one person who was too young to be in the army who said who is this uncircumcised Philistine who has defied the armies of the living God he wouldn't he goes to battle taking no armor with him taking a slingshot and a stone and he kills the giant and cuts off his head with his own sword if you have faith, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved. And it will be moved. I would say that's pretty close. deals with a situation that people have returned from Babylonian captivity for the express purpose of building a temple. They come back to build a temple. But the temple doesn't look as good as the first temple did. And there are people there, there are enemies who are discouraging them and reporting them to the Persian government. And all work on the temple stops. And Zechariah prophesies, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And Zerubbabel is going to remove this mountain and he's going to build the temple on it. And that's a paraphrase of the idea. But the point is, 
things that we never deemed possible can happen if we have enough faith to obey. And it may not even be that great of a faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. Matthew account emphasizes disciples and it emphasizes what our response to his power should be. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, How many times have you looked at us and asked how long? We throw ourselves on your mercy. We beg you for your grace. And we pray as the disciples in Luke 17, 6, increase our faith. Lord, help us to even have faith as small as a mustard seed. For we know all things are possible with you. We believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus we pray. When I was growing up, we would sing a song sometimes. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because he loved me so. Part of what the painting at the beginning was meant to portray was the depth of love involved in Jesus coming to this world. He came to this world knowing that it would be to be rejected and to die. And yet he came anyway. His coming makes it possible for us to have victory in Jesus. If you want to come this morning repenting of sin and be baptized in Christ, we beg you to as we stand and
I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on